You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies, and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Your host for Heart Matters is Dr. Jack Lewin, Chief Executive Officer of the American College of Cardiology. The Institute of Medicine recently released a list of 100 priority topics for comparative effectiveness research. The first topic on the first page of the report calls for an evaluation of treatment strategies for atrial fibrillation from surgery or catheter ablation to pharmacologic therapy. How do we design research to produce an accurate comparison of these treatment options? And what other subjects should stand at the top of our priority list? Our guest is Dr. Sean Tunis, founding director of the Center for Medical Technology Policy, an independent nonprofit focused on advancing research for clinical decision making. Dr. Tunis is formerly the director of the Office of Clinical Standards and Quality and Chief Medical Officer for CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Welcome, Dr. Tunis. Thanks very much, Dr. Lewin. Sean, you know, the American Recovery and Reinvestment or Stimulus Act of this year invested $1.1 billion, as you know, to begin the work on CER. So, you know, it sounds like a lot of money, but some of us see this as, frankly, a drop in the bucket in terms of what we need here. Where do we begin? You know, that was the major challenge in a way that was set before the Institute of Medicine Committee that was asked over the course of a couple months to come up with a list of 50 or 100 topics to start off the investment in comparative effectiveness research and, you know, to try to keep within a billion dollars worth of studies to try to pick amongst the many areas where there, there might be some worthwhile additional work to do. You had mentioned atrial fibrillation and the various treatments as being what appeared at the top of the list, which, by the way, the list was sort of divided into four quartiles, and the order within the individual quartiles wasn't intended to be, meaning that the first one listed was the most important, but atrial fibrillation actually appeared at the top because it was the first alphabetically of the most important quartile. Of course, if you think about it, I mean, atrial fibrillation is a tough one in terms of how best to treat it, and all the issues of anticoagulation. So it belongs up there, even though it starts with an A. Yeah, and appearing in the top 25, even if it wasn't necessarily number one, you know, meant that it was considered extremely important out of all the potential topics that were actually nominated, which was in the several thousands. Your point is there's a lot of important topics. Up there, a lot of important there. topics. Now, on the topic of atrial fibrillation, one of the ways, I think, to kind of highlight the importance of comparative effectiveness. I'm actually looking at some data that comes from, I believe, an analysis that Rob Califf did looking at the ACCAHA guidelines on atrial fibrillation, and he kind of tallied the percentage of the recommendations from the guideline that were based on level A, B, and C evidence. We have a lot of it that's based on just expert consensus. We need that science. We need the, the better evidence. Absolutely. What it actually looks like here is that about 10% of the recommendations were based on high-quality science, and 60% were level C evidence, which is essentially expert opinion. And so I think if you want a kind of a concise description of what the whole point of the comparative effectiveness research investment is, it's to try to move some of the Bs and Cs up to level A evidence uh, on the most important questions. You know, even thinking back to your experience at CMS, I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? Why we doctors, patients, insurance companies, Medicare, 
haven't demanded this information a long time ago. I guess we just didn't think anybody would pay for it. Yeah, the medical profession, I think, has been demanding the information. I think the real problem is, you know, nobody's been listening who has the resources and the ability to actually, you know, do the studies. To a large degree, the investment in clinical research is divided between the pharmaceutical industry and the National Institutes of Health. The pharmaceutical industry spends most of their money meeting regulatory standards, which have some limitations in terms of what they tell you about the actual performance of the product and as it's used in clinical practice. And, you know, the NIH spends 90% of their money on discovering the next generation of technologies about which we won't have a lot of information to guide our use of them. So at least we're moving in the right direction. We have some money, maybe not enough, but we have $1.1 billion. What are some examples of projects in comparative effectiveness that are underway now? Anything exciting that you want to share? One example that is just getting underway, triggered by a recent funding request from the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, is to begin to create a national registry of orthopedic procedures, devices, and drugs. And there the notion is that let's just focus on knee and hip replacement procedures. There's all kinds of questions about the long-term survival of different hardware sometimes complications that are discovered associated with particular new hardware. And there's no organized system to actually track that. There's no good way to identify patients who've had a hardware implanted that is later discovered to have some problems that might lead to some vulnerabilities. So one example which is getting going is to begin to develop the infrastructure to systematically track every orthopedic procedure that's done you know, in the country. And that will allow for there to be all kinds of really useful studies on pharmacologic interventions, biologics, different approaches to procedures, et cetera. Of course, you know, at ACC, we we say if the heart stops being, what good are those dysfunctional joints? I mean, you know, so. Well, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Jack Lewin. Our guest is Dr. Sean Tunis, founding director of the Center for Medical Technology Policy, located in Baltimore. Sean, as we think about the movement now in comparative effectiveness, we have some money, we have some excitement. It seems like it's going to be part of the infrastructure of health system reform. It might seem like this is kind of a slam dunk now for improving quality, outcomes, value. But what do you see as challenges and limitations and barriers to advancing our knowledge base here? There are several critical challenges, and maybe the first one to start with is the fact that there's lots of information out there already that doesn't get used reliably for a whole variety of reasons about which I'm not an expert. But the point is that if we're going to put a new investment in generating all kinds of new information, we certainly need to think more carefully about how to make sure that the good information that we already have is you know, applied in clinical practice. To some extent, the clinical guidelines that ACC does are an important way to, to translate information into practice. Electronic medical records and reminder systems are an important tool. And what I think, you know, is coming as part of health reform is creating more financial incentives and performance-based reimbursement that will, you know, reward the kind of the use of proven and cost-effective therapies. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And I think that maybe we will be transforming payment systems so that perhaps we could start rewarding people for using the best evidence available because implementing CER 
getting the comparative effectiveness into clinical care is going to be a challenge as well. In terms of the clinical trials of the past, we've been rightfully accused as a nation of often not representing the many different types of patients who receive a drug or device later when we actually do the research. How do we orient CER in the future to apply to the whole range of individuals that represents America? How do we do that better? One thing that will certainly lead to improvement in better representing traditionally underrepresented populations such as you know women and minorities and people with multiple comorbidities will just be the awareness that it's been a problem in the past and the explicit recognition that a goal of comparative effectiveness research is to remedy that problem. The Institute of Medicine in their priority report included as part of the defining feature of comparative effectiveness research that it explicitly attempts to better represent the range of the population that is actually affected by the condition. So some of it's just awareness and therefore, you know, when the requests for proposals come out from the federal government, you know, that will be a clear expectation that there is a plan in place to make sure that the studies are done with a broader population. And then the other thing is that a lot of comparative effectiveness research is going to be done using electronic medical records, registries, and other sorts of databases that you know document the clinical outcomes in the entire population of patients that are treated, and not just those who are you know selectively enrolled into clinical research trials. So you know, beyond then making sure that the future comparative effectiveness research is not just focused on white males, and it's broader than that. Do we have to think also about the design of current randomized trials? Are we doing that right? Is this just more of the same in terms of the way we do randomized and controlled trials? Or do we need to kind of change the way we do the research to make it more conducive to comparative effectiveness measurements? Any thoughts there? Yeah. I think the methods of comparative effectiveness are going to look quite different. They'll have certain elements that are familiar, including randomized designs. But I think there will also be a reliance on a broader range of methods, and as I mentioned, including lots more dependence on clinical registries, lots more dependence on using electronic medical record data, which would be analyzed retrospectively and applying sophisticated statistical techniques to kind of adjust for potential biases. What I think is going to be characteristic of comparative effectiveness research is methodologies that don't look like the pristine gold standard randomized, you know, level one evidence that is, you know, considered the the holy grail for evidence-based medicine. I think it's an emerging recognition is that it would be better to have more information about more unanswered questions that's not perfect information, you know, rather than living in a world where we have very good information on a small number of questions and kind of are left to guess with, you know, all the ones that we didn't get around to answering. Yeah. So we, we may look at the world of research slightly differently. And, and we also have to consider the fact that, as we were commenting before, that patients themselves in these controlled trials are not always, in fact, are, are usually not behaving like patients in the real world. The COURAGE trial suggests that optimal medical therapy is better than uh, percutaneous interventions in coronary artery disease for many, many patients, and yet uh, we have this 50% adherence to the medications. (laughs) So it's a complicated matter. But on the implementation of comparative effectiveness research, 
Any thoughts about how we're going to take this work once it's completed and get it actually embedded into the practice level? Or in other words, accelerate the pace with which we implement the clinical applications? Yeah, we're kind of at the inflection point of the more health information technology enabled healthcare delivery. So, you know, really referring there to, you know, the electronic medical record. And it seems to me that with a $20 billion investment in health information technology and the stimulus bill and, you know, other trends that have been taking place and shaping up over the last five years, it probably will be over the next five to 10 years that, you know, healthcare goes from being one of the last major parts of the economy that isn't highly IT enabled to being, you know, essentially universally IT enabled. And I think that's going to be a major mechanism by which information and evidence is going to become more readily available at the point of care to guide decision making. So that's one piece of it. I I think the second piece, and it kind of goes to one of your earlier questions about the implementation of CER, comparative effectiveness research, and whether it will improve quality and whether it will lower costs. The way I think about CER is that the changes in financial incentives and the downward pressure on, you know, kind of healthcare spending, that's coming in one form or another. You know, there will be, as part of health reform, much greater pressure on patients to make cost-effective choices, much greater pressure on clinicians to be making evidence-based cost-effective choices. And in that environment, the information from comparative effectiveness research is going to be essential to guide those decisions. In my view, just doing the comparative effectiveness research and publishing it, or even putting it in you know, decision support tools and electronic medical records, doesn't do anything in the absence of you know, some real incentives and real reasons to you know, want to do what's best you know, while also taking into account you know, the ultimate limitation in resources. Yeah. Well, you know, at the college, uh, we believe that we're going to have our outpatient registry across the entire environment to match the inpatient registries. And we think that payment incentives will be there to help doctors move in this direction. But also, cardiologists and other physicians want to be at the top of their game. And if we can give them good data back that says, you know, you can do a better job and you can apply the evidence in a better way, we think they'll snatch up the opportunity and move with that in a good way. Well, we've been learning more about comparative effectiveness research with Dr. Sean Tunis. Sean, thank you very much for being our guest. It's been a fascinating discussion. Yeah, appreciate it and uh, enjoy it and hope it's useful. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast of this segment, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.